The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Ah, the ambassador graces us with her presence. Hello, Mel. I see we have some new faces. Hey, you. Hey, you. Ambassador, this is Shepard Book. I'd have to say this is the first time we've had a preacher on board. Well, I wasn't expecting to see a state official either. Ambassador? <laughs> I'm missing something funny. Not so funny. Ambassador's mouth waves. She's a whore, Shepard. The term is companion. I always get those mixed up. How's business? None of yours. She is pretty much our ambassador. There's plenty of planets where we can let you dock without a decent companion on board. This... this isn't a problem for you, is it, Shepard? Well, I... I certainly... It's all right. I mostly keep to myself. When I'm not whoring. Would well, you want to meet the rest of the bunch? Why don't you make sure they want to meet me first? Good morning, London. It is Thursday, October 7th, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. Oh, no, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today, where, as always, the number to call is 519-661-3600. If you want to join in on the conversation, email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And today our subjects are a few of them, actually. Later in the second half of the show, we're going to be finally getting around to something we promised to deal with uh, earlier and didn't, and that was... Just that last little bit of conspiracies we didn't deal with there, eh, Robert, landing, that did we actually land on the moon? Mm -hmm. And I think we're also going to consider the question of whether Margaret Atwood just mooned us recently with her opinions on the subject. <laughs> we're also going to be talking about the case for space, the race for space, in terms of Canada's participation in that. But first, for the first half of the show, we're going to be talking about Canada's prostitution laws, and of course recently these laws have been struck down. Not, not the law against prostitution per se, but some other related laws. And Robert, um, you know, the thing that really got me about this, I'm less interested in the whole concept of the prostitution issue than the arguments that have been used both for and against it, you know, the whole moral debate. That's what really got our attention. And it's interesting, I think, how differently different people look upon prostitution and what their definitions are and what morality is and what morality is not. I'll give you a classic example, um, August 31st, National Post. Iranian media dubbed Bruni a prostitute. And this is out of Tehran. Iranian news outlets have branded Carla Bruni, France's first lady, a, quote, prostitute and, quote, immoral after she expressed support for an Iranian woman sentenced to death by stoning. A report on a government-run website, government-run, no less, called Ms. Ms. Bruni immoral after a blistering attack on the wife of French President Nicolas Sarkozy by the hardline Cahan news newspaper on Saturday, 
after it called her a prostitute. This promiscuous woman of Italian origin, due to her race and her actions, is not popular among the French people, it added. And I find this amazing coming out of Tehran, since I did a show a couple of years ago on how prostitution was done in Tehran. They have over 300,000 street prostitutes in Tehran. That's amazing. Unbelievable. And How, how they, do they get around the fact that they're not allowed to have extramarital sex? They marry them. They marry them they, for half an hour, and then they divorce them, <laughs> and the problem is solved. I couldn't believe it. I got it. I don't want to get into that in a big wow. way. We did a show on that. How but, moral of them. Yes, isn't it? And then, of course, uh, this, I guess, this, I guess, is the main story. September 29th by Shannon Carey. Prostitution laws struck down by the court, National Post. Ontario ruling could lead to legalized brothels n- nationwide. And this is out of Toronto, where she writes, quote, A ruling that struck down three of the country's prostitution laws is based on a balancing of the constitutional rights of sex trade workers and is not about morality, an Ontario Superior Court judge said in a potentially landmark decision. I have found that the law as it stands is currently contributing to the the danger faced by prostitutes. Judge Heimel wrote, I guess, is that how her name is pronounced? I'm not even sure. I don't know. Um, wrote an 131-page ruling. How do you write 131 pages on that? I could, I could summarize the whole situation in as many words. Um, and, of course, the Christian Legal Fellowship was one of three groups granted intervener status in the case. Now, that's bizarre, eh? Um, and argued that prostitution is immoral and should be stigmatized. While prostitute safety is a, quote, legitimate concern, there are broader issues that should have been considered, said Ruth Ross, executive director and general counsel of the fellowship. There must be concern for the security and care of all of society. There needs to be a balancing, Ms. Ross said. The judge noted that the decriminalization of consenting adult prostitution in New Zealand and licensing scheme have led to increased safety, and there was no evidence of more trafficking in the sex industry. Now, what I find interesting in this case, Robert, is that the judge would say it's not about morality, it's about safety. Yes. Isn't that a moral issue? Well, she has to say that because apparently there have already been decisions um, of of the Supreme Court level about prostitution, and she is trying to find a loophole of a safety issue to have them reconsider some previous decisions, and I think that's probably why she had 132 pages to say it. And that's why we get into these murky arguments in the first place, because of, of bad laws that preceded. Uh, ruling that legalized prostitu- prostitution to be appealed, reads London Free Press on September 30th. Prostitution is a problem that harms individuals and it harms communities, and this is why I am pleased to indicate to the House that the government will appeal and seek a stay on that decision, Conservative Justice Minister Rob Nicholson told the Commons on Wednesday. Block leader Gilles Duceppe called for a debate on the issue. There is an important split in our society, he said. In the Netherlands, you've got bordellos, legal bordellos, but that didn't stop illegal prostitution. Well, I don't think you're ever going to stop illegal anything. Um, I think they mix issues here, you know. Well, not not only that, Bob, they, they don't even see the harm that they're causing. When they say, for example, that prostitution um, harms society, it's not true. What harms society is the prohibition on soliciting. What harms society, for example, the drug laws is not the drug laws, or not the drugs, but the prohibition. Yes, and this of the is drugs. the same situation, you know. And, and I, can, I, I can see it's understandable that legalizing prostitution isn't the answer for every prostitute. Uh, but for many, it just means trading one pimp that exploits them for another, and that's the government. <laughs> you know, that's why you're going to continue to see 
prostitution illegal even if they legalize it, just like a lot of people work illegally. They're not just talking about legalizing it. <clears throat> if you look at this is some of the some of the arguments, they're not talking about just legalizing, they're talking about legalizing it and then regulating it. In other words, putting a system of regulations in place so that now women rather than being picked up for soliciting, will be being picked up for violating regulations. This is exactly why I say they're just trading one pimp for another if they right. go into that. Um, in Canada, taxation exceeds 50% of the average person's earnings and is, uh, and is going up constantly, which uh, can't be too much worse than any of the worst of the pimps, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Um, so who's screwing who? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Well put, Bob. Um, and then there's Barbara Kay. Now, you know, she's been on the show a couple of times. I was just stunned at her opinion here. This was out of the National Post, September 29th. The right not to be harmed. And she informs us that two, that two dissenting justices, Michelle Bastarache and Louis LaBelle, wrote, quote, and this is the justices speaking, we are convinced that this new approach strips of all relevance the social values that the Canadian community as a whole believes should be protected, and, quote, introduces a concept of tolerance that does not seem to be justifiable according to any principle whatsoever, end quote. Uh, Robert, this is such a frightening admission for two justices to make that we should all sit up and take notice. They're literally saying that consenting peaceful behavior is not justifiable according to any principle whatsoever. And, like, what planet are these people from? The principle, or the planet of no principles is yeah, where they're from. I guess. Because the name of the principle is individual rights. That principle is based on the fact that your life is your own, and no one else has any right to control it except in self-defense against physical aggression. That is the principle that the justices cannot seem to understand. I don't get it. Uh, well, I can understand it because that particular principle is not justified or properly enshrined in our Constitution or in our laws. Yeah, so I ask, what principles do they operate on? Social values? Community interests? These, these aren't even principles. And they justify nothing. Uh, they're undefined, vague terms explicitly used to disguise the real principle that's being advocated. And that's that they believe the individual's life belongs to the state. State first, you second. It still comes up of the old God concept, God, religion, state, and there's so much of that all, all over this. Then writes uh, Barbara Kay, she quote, quote, Many libertarians will applaud the legalization of prostitution, which in theory is a victimless crime, end quote. Well, is it or isn't it? What do you think, Robert? Well, it's an activity between two consenting adults. If they were allowed to do it in private uh, property, then I don't see a problem with it. But uh, because they're forced to do it on the streets in front of people because of prohibition, then it becomes an issue. So well, never mind that. Is Assuming it's legal and everything's cool, because that's what she's saying. She's saying, in even if it's legal, is are 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 they still victimless? And I have to say, it is a victimless crime, both in theory and in practice, because what is the nature of the crime? Voluntarily exchanging cash for sex. That by itself creates no victims of any possible definition no. of the word victim that I can think of. There's a lot of ancillary crimes associated yeah. with prostitution, and, but pick uh, on those. Well. It's ironic because I always talk about violence and coercion and control of the women by the men. Well, that's the same thing I hear from Megan Walker about marriage and the average guy in domestic violence, okay? What's the difference? We haven't been talking about banning marriage, have we? Why not? <laughs> There's a lot of violent husbands, aren't there? A lot of violent wives. Yeah. Well, we don't talk about that in this society. Ooh, shh, 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 don't say that. Um, 
And then she writes that the danger to prostitutes will continue because the kind of men who frequent prostitutes and the kind of men who control them don't have a lot of respect for them on the whole. Nor should they. This is her writing. Being a prostitute is a shameful, indecent activity, and any sex worker who demands respect as a matter of course is fooling herself. She is not respectable, end quote. Now, you know, that Barbara Kay wants prostitutes to be disrespected because they've earned their disrespect, so to speak, I think is a little unconscionable. I can't, I cannot possibly agree with that. Because by this reasoning, it follows, therefore, that men who do respect the women they pay to have sex with are morally despicable because they fail to disrespect these women. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Isn't that obvious? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm thinking, holy cow, what is she talking about? It certainly explains why she supports the struck-down laws. She wants to use the law to morally punish people that she considers shameful, indecent, and not respectable. Wow. This is such a non-sequitur for what we usually hear from Barbara Kay. It's got my head shaking, and if you want to talk about shameful, Barbara, I'll give you a chance sometime to recount on this, but I, I think that's shameful. And then here's some, another writer, female again, from the London Free Press, Mindal Jacobs, who feels quite differently than Barbara Kay. And the headline on that read, Prostitutes Died Because of Our Laws. And she writes that despite overwhelming evidence that our prostitution laws have not only failed to curb the sex trade but contributed to violence against prostitutes, our MPs have refused to enact reforms. Legalizing prostitution won't save every sex trade worker from harm, concedes lawyer Alan Young. Impoverished, drug-addicted street prostitutes don't have the wherewithal to move indoor, he explains. Still, if soliciting had been legal... Perhaps only 10 dead women would, women would have been found on Picton's farm instead of 26, says Young. This is the first time this much evidence surrounding prostitution has been reviewed by a court, says criminolo criminologist John Lowman. I find that interesting. This gets into the debate of you know, people talking about, well, who's ruling the country, the courts or the parliament? Who makes the laws, right? And it's interesting that it's the courts that end up always having to make the decisions because Parliament is incapable of making decisions. They just pass laws and leave it up to the courts. And uh, she writes, as recently as 2006, MPs from all parties on a House of Commons subcommittee on solicitation laws concluded sexual activities between consenting adults shouldn't be criminalized. But nothing was done. Interesting. But the consequences, the deaths and disappearances of hundreds of vulnerable women have been far worse than the harms the government hoped to reduce. How many more women will die before prostitution is legalized? I think that's a great argument, but it's not essential to the big picture. We shouldn't be legalizing prostitution because of any harm argument per se, but because we should be living in a society where consent is the ruling principle of all human relationships, not just sexual and that's what I always find fascinating about the whole issue of consent. Everybody sees morality and consent as almost being a sexual issue and that it doesn't apply anywhere else in life, and that's just false. Um, if violence is involved in any aspect of social life, that's unacceptable, both in theory and in practice, wouldn't you say? Does it have to be in prostitution or something? And I think violence is an inevitable consequence of prohibitions of all sorts. Prohibitions of consensual activities we're talking about. Uh, what a free society prohibits is non-consensual behavior. Murder, rape, robbery, assaults, all non-consensual, both in theory and practice. That's what you, you're supposed to be banning in a free society. And then, uh, finally, uh, I never thought I'd ever hear in my life me, me, me agreeing 100% with John Moore. 
um, you know, the talk show host who writes for the National Post. And he wrote an article on September 30th, uh, Your Morals, My Law. And maybe people think we sound really left-wing today. I don't know. Moralists are astonished, this is John Moore speaking, that the law will no longer backstop their efforts to impose a state morality, but they've been stunned by the fact that some of the most articulate people to the debate are a bunch of out-and-proud prostitutes led by an affable, whip-cracking dominatrix known as Madame de Sade. The problem with the public debate about the sex trade is that what most people know about it comes from the movies and furtive glances at the prostitutes who work the streets. To the average person, the sex trade is self-loathing, drug-addicted, likely infected girls corroded with shame as they turn tricks to pay for their next fix. The average person has never met Jade. Jade is an attractive 40-something university-educated mother of two who transitioned a few years ago from being an escort who made roughly eight calls a week to running her own agency. She's never had trouble with a client. She doesn't hate herself, and she pays all of her taxes on her earnings. One of the reasons she's never had any trouble from the law is because so many of her clients are in it. <laughs> Social conservatives are understandably irked by people like Jade. She's living proof that a woman might choose to be in a profession and not feel demeaned by it. Of course, the social conservatives are entitled to their offense, they're entitled to talk about it, and they evangelize for their presumed superior morality, but hands off the law. Now, although I agree with all that, I found something a little disturbing there. Given the current illegality of the trade, that, you know, hearing that her customers are members of the law, you know what I mean? That places those members of the law in a position of authority and abuse, doesn't it? Interesting. Isn't it, you know, from our previous show that we did on prostitutes last October, we learned that especially in the case of street prostitutes, the police are the thing that they fear the most. That's their number one fear. But, of course, all of this is just another reason to legalize the trade. I'm going to take a quick break now, and what we're about to hear is a clip you want to talk about art imitating life or vice versa. Uh, the next clip we're about to hear is from the British series Secret Diary of a Call Girl starring Billy Piper. It used to air on, um, I think, Showcase. And on the other side of the bumper, to prove that life imitates art, um, from a November 2008 broadcast of 2020 with John Stossel and Diane Sawyer, the famous Elliot Spitzer and Ashley Dupre sex event south of the border. We'll be back right after this. market in escorting is something called the girlfriend experience. Now, that doesn't mean getting paid to be moody and forcing him to try and work out what's wrong. No. This is a particular service. I've never been a very good girlfriend in real life, but for one night only, I am the perfect girlfriend. Some of my clients, they're not just after sex. They want the intimacy, the exclusivity of a real relationship. And what's wrong with that? We all want to be held. So 7.30, and from this moment on, I'm on the client's time. His treat for the night, a gift to himself. Ashok Prasad, my first. I lost my virginity to him, professionally speaking. Sweet, clean, considerate. So I've kept him my perfect regular. Hey. Hello. Couldn't you have brushed your hair? Couldn't you have bought a new suit?
Many times before, we've covered the real dimensions of prostitution in America, the numbers, the human cost involved. Tonight, though, a new page in the scrapbook of women who make these choices and why. This story could be one of hundreds, except for one crucial difference. And that difference, of course, is that her client was the governor, the seemingly straight-laced governor of New York. Tonight, her side of the story. She wrote in a diary, believe what you read. It's okay. I'll have my chance to correct it one day. Well, this is her day. She sat down for this exclusive interview with Diane Sawyer. New York Governor Elliot Spitzer under fire this week for his involvement. Elliot Spitzer, the governor of New York. The scourge of corruption on Wall Street. The former attorney general who had famously moved to shatter prostitution rings. But there he was, standing in front of cameras, acknowledging he had hired call girls himself. Documents released by investigators called him client number nine. His last appointment, a hotel in Washington, D.C., with an escort from New York named Kristen. On the escort website, she was advertised as a worldly sophisticate who loved fine wines and travel, a girl who was fully in control. Though we learned that apparently she had no idea that her client in Washington was the governor of New York. This young woman who has not spoken on television until now, not even to say her name. What's your name? Ashley Dupre. And Kristen? Mm. Yes, I was Kristen. You never knew who he was? No. Hadn't seen him in the paper? No. He looked familiar, but I was 22 years old. I didn't, I wasn't reading the papers. I was so involved in my life, and I was so selfish and, um, and caught up in my life, and I didn't know who he was. And I was whoever they wanted me to be, and he was whoever he wanted to be. And so when you watched the two of them on television, the governor and Mrs. Spitzer... In the past few days... I've begun to atone for my private failings with my wife. What were you watching? Her face. Why? I felt connected to her. I didn't feel connected to him. Um, her pain. And I just saw the pain in her eyes. Did you feel responsible? No. If it wasn't me, it would have been someone else. I was doing my job. And welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can join the conversation at 519-661-3600. Seems, seems like all prostitutes keep diaries, eh, Robert? <laughs> Uh-oh. <Yeah. laughs> uh, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, so we were talking earlier the, um, in the hour about Barbara Kay's article from September 29th. Mm-hmm. But she wrote a uh, more recent article um, on the 5th of October on the Internet, and it just appeared in yesterday's National Post. Which, uh, it's titled, They Need Rescue, Not Regulation. And I just want to go through that particular article because it brings up a number of points that I think are salient to this issue. She starts off by saying that Judge Susan Himmel's ruling was based on charter rights provisions. And she's put rights in quotation marks. Now, when somebody does that, it usually means they disagree with the application of that word for that idea. Yes. And I find that fascinating. Kay, by putting it in, in quotes, she said, I can sympathize with this as many of the so-called rights in our Constitution 
are not really rights. I mean, I know that at all, but simply group wants. Right, and, she, and it's ironic that she often criticizes those kind of rights. Too. Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I agree with Barbara Kay on so many yeah. issues. I've been reading for her for a while. She was a guest on this show. And, and she's uh, not a man-hater. Yes. That's very, un- and she makes a point of it, you know? Yeah. Um, no, very competent uh, columnist, and um, I'm going to have to disagree with her vehemently on this particular issue. Um, <clears throat> but what she's, she's not noticing is that the right to life, however, should not be put in quotation marks. Of all the rights of our Constitution, this is the one that should be protected and should be the most important one, and I think that's the one that the uh, Judge Himmel's um, uh, judgment is talking about. And if government action is harming someone's right to their life, even indirectly, through prostitution lungs, that it must be addressed. The criminalization of prostitution, Bob, does harm does harm innocent people and prevent them from engaging in consensual acts. This is also a violation of their right to liberty. Again, a right that shouldn't be put into quotes. Again, one of those uh, rights that should be protected. And um, Kay's article goes on. It says they, they want and I'm quoting from her here, she says, they want cultural validation of their profession. They want society to respect them. A reiteration of the article that you were talking Mm. about earlier. There are actually two forces going on in society over this issue, in my opinion. Yes, one of them is a plea to culturally validate prostitution and to ask for respect for a choice many can't respect. I I don't even think the word respect is right. I think the word tolerance is the word that, that is really what they mean by but, that word in most, in most of these applications. No, I don't think Kay is talking about tolerance. No. I think Kay is seeing out there, particularly that one madam with the whip. Well, she, she can disrespect that person yeah. all she wants. But That's she my had, point. But, but you should tolerate her. Yes. There is a major you difference. See the difference? It's, it's yeah. night and day, yes. Um, There's one issue is, is the respect issue, but the other one that Kay seems to be avoiding is um, is, is, I think it's a red herring. It's, it, this is a force to make legal, consensual acts amongst adults. You know, it has nothing to do with respecting those acts. You're free to choose to respect them or not respect them as you wish. That's not at issue here at all. It's about putting people in jail for doing these acts that they consent to. And I might even agree that some, some, some of these women need rescuing, but I could say that about some women in their marriages and oh, some sure. women in other relationships, some and men in, too. Men and women in poverty. That's not, the, uh, that's not the criteria that we should be judging these laws on. She calls prostitution antisocial. Like, tell me, how is prostitution antisocial? To me, it looks like a social act. Oh, I, I, no, that. I think what she means is exactly what we just heard with Ashley Dupre, is that it, it can split up families. But as, as she pointed out herself, Ashley Dupre, that wasn't her act that caused that. If there, it, you know, an act of prostitution could be immoral. Oh, of I have course. no question about it. But it's not necessarily the prostitute is being immoral. It's usually the client and exactly. whatever relationships they have consented if to. If he's a married path. man and he goes out to a prostitute, he's violating his contract with his wife. And unless that is his, an immoral Unless his act. wife has agreed to that as being of part course. of the agreement. And, yeah. that, and a lot of marriages are that way. Yes, that's so hard for open a lot of people out to there. understand. Yeah. But um, yes, the act of... But that's not the act of prostitution. That's the act of cheating on your wife. Correct. It can be immoral. But the prostitution act is not... Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Kay goes on, she says, while a permanent, ineradictable, and arguably even necessary accessory to communal life 
It's an ignoble line of work and inherently unworthy of social respect. Legalization won't change that. So K acknowledges that prostitution is ineradactable and yet still calls for its criminalization. So that from now on, until the end of time, we will be putting whores and johns in jails for engaging in victimless consensual acts. I think Kay really has to re rethink this whole issue. She goes on again in her article and talks about streetwalkers, drug addicts, child trafficking or trial trafficked Aboriginal children. She's trying to equate prostitution to drug addicts and child traffickers. Another red herring. If drinking tea were criminalized, then teetotalers could properly be grouped with drug addicts and child traffickers because all of these people would be criminals. And that's all that they would have in common. Uh, you know, I think the whole drug addiction situation is that lower end of the prostitution debate, you know. Um, I think she might be surprised how many people in the sex industry, um, drugs are a, a big no-no, an absolutely big no-no. Right. And, uh, but certainly not on the street level. I think the street level isn't even an issue of prostitution. It's no different than beggars on the street, you know, the same level of human activity. Yep. That's about it. And as a matter of fact, some prostitutes are basically begging. Yeah. That's, that's about it. These, uh, Kay says, quoting, I'm quoting from Kay here, these women don't need the harm reduction of legal enablement. They need rescue. Their plight would only worsen with legalization because it would discourage efforts to save them. So it seems to me that the purpose of social conservatives, who apparently Barbara Kay is, is to have victims whom they can save and feel morally superior to. Kay's column is filled with the typical moral hubris of conservatives, and I just have to disagree with her. Like I say, I agree with her most of the time, but on this issue, she is way off base. And I hope that um, she can reconsider some of the things that she's written there, Bob. Yeah, and just one last sentence from, uh, um, who is this from? This is from Lauren Gunter, you know. He says, so long as there has been sex, there, there have been those willing to sell and buy it. That doesn't make it morally acceptable. What? <laughs> That's exactly what makes it morally acceptable, is the fact that it's consensual. It's because they that is the application They're confusing of morality. morality. They don't know that. Yeah. To be moral is to act according to your nature as a rational human being. That's what is what morality. It has nothing to do with uh, your own personal, maybe warped sense of sex, your own personal habits and choices, your religion. That's not what morality is. It is being faithful and true to your nature as a rational person. I agree. Well, we'll leave it at that then, Robert, because um, it's an issue. It's not going to go away, something that we'll have to look at again. But listen, changing subjects completely. You think we landed on the moon? I think <laughs> and the not US for something completely different. Yeah, really yeah. different. Because <laughs> that's what we want to look at next after yes, the break. Yes, I do. Well, what we're going to hear next going into the break is from the, uh, uh, um, I think the show was actually called Conspiracy Theories, and it ran, it was made in the, either 1999 or the early 2000s. And, of course, the question was, did we land on the moon? And this clip will hear all the various uh, arguments that were brought up. On the other side of the bumper in the break, we're going to be hearing Margaret Atwood herself in that interview that was covered in the National Post with Spartan Youth Radio, another university radio station, uh, about how she kind of, uh, you know, they're wondering, does she really believe this this whole, um, you know, conspiracy theory thing? But anyway, a little bit of fun for the next half of the program, and we'll be back right after this. Three decades ago, when the world watched Apollo's lunar landings, Bill Casing was watching too. But what he saw on television 
combined with his experiences at Rocketdyne, made him a skeptic. The whole thing then seemed phony to me. I think it was an intuitive feeling that what was being shown was not real. As he studied the footage more closely, he was shocked to find several inconsistencies. Casing observed that despite the clarity of deep space, the stars were missing from the black lunar sky. He saw the American flag waving, even though there is no air on the moon. And he discovered that there was no blast crater beneath the lunar lander, where its powerful rocket engine had fired. This evidence convinced Casing that we never sent a man to the moon. But NASA dismisses these charges. There are always going to be people who believe uh, some outlandish theories, and the notion that we, that we somehow were able to fake the lunar missions is pretty outlandish. As outlandish as it might seem, it has been estimated that as many as 20% of Americans believe we never went to the moon. But how could anyone think that one of the greatest moments in human history is a hoax? Is it really possible that NASA deceived the world? According to a former astronaut, it's entirely possible. Regarding the Apollo mission, I can't say 100% for sure whether these men walked on the moon. Brian O'Leary was a NASA astronaut in the 1960s and served as a science advisor during the Apollo moon missions. It's possible that NASA could have covered it up uh, just in order to cut corners and to be the first to allegedly go to the moon. Was getting to the moon first so important that our government would consider faking it? To find the answer, we have to go back 40 years to a time when America and the Soviets were locked in a struggle for world domination. People assumed that the nation that won the space race would win the Cold War. We defined that as being first to the moon. It was a time of more or less national hysteria. And therefore, to get to the zoo, we would always go through Sudbury. So this is definitely not a foreign area. It's not a foreign area. In fact, I remember Sudbury when nothing grew. We actually, I have to say, we kids looked forward to it because it was so exotic. <laughs> it was like space travel, of course, of which we were reading a lot at the time. And we thought, well, this is what it might be like on Mars, or maybe it's like this on the moon, because really nothing grew. It was black rock. It's interesting that you mentioned that, actually. I was told recently that um, you were one of the believers that uh, is that the opinion that the, the moon landing was actually filmed. And as you said, the area in Sudbury is just so barren. And you yourself used to believe, wonder if this is what it was like on Mars. Do you exactly. Think it could possibly have been filmed here? Well, <laughs> I think people practiced here. We've got some documentary filmmakers in the room with us, so what a temptation it would be just to say, let's pretend we're actually on the moon. What would you say and do? Uh, the question about the moon landing is, why haven't we been back? And it was done in an age in which computers were as big as a couple of rooms. If you even look at the Space Odyssey 2001, how the computer, and I think that movie came out in the late 60s, 
held the computer is huge. So we didn't yet have microchips, and I just wonder, how did they do that? Why haven't they done it again if it was so easy? What do you think of their and argument to that question usually? Most often I hear that they say we haven't had a need to return. Well, you think about it. President Bush said we're going back or words to that effect, and then people calculated how long it would take and how much money it would cost to actually do that. It was a long time and a lot of money. Just wondering, wondering about the belt of deadly radiation that people had to go through in order to get to the moon, and those strange shadows and why the flag rippled and a few things like that. I think would have pushed them to actually have to pull off an entire hoax like that. Well, if it was, and the jury is open and we'll never know. Mm -hmm. But um, it was the, the space race with Russia, space and arms race that was going on at the time. Okay. Yeah, we'll never know, eh, hey, Robert? Oh, the, jury, the jury's out on that one. laughable. <laughs> now, do you think she was being serious? You know, I couldn't get it from that particular um, interview that if she was being serious or not, but she came up with the same arguments that we we're going to hear in further clips. But, uh, but I, I don't know. I can't trust Margaret Atwood. <laughs> well, it's interesting because Joe O'Connor in the National Post on September 23rd, that's what drew our attention to this. And, of course, that's where we got the clip from because you can get it from the National Post uh, link. And in the article, One Small Step for Man, One Giant Hoax for Mankind, he talks about Margaret Atwood, quote, the Canadian queen of letters, arguably the greatest authoress this nation has ever produced. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you it's arguably, yeah. arguable, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just might believe the Apollo 11 moonshot that marked one small step for man, etc., was one big giant scam. Or then again, maybe she was just kidding. It's truly hard to say. Then he talks about uh, the interview we just heard, and his comment was, well, Ms. Atwood sounds like she always does, monotone, flat as a book cover. Judging from her never-changing tone, it's impossible to discern if she's kidding around with a kid. Yeah. But Miss Lemire took her words, and still does, to be genuine. Lemire is, of course, the, the, the young lady who interviewed her. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was entirely serious with everything she said, insists the avid Atwood admirer, who was so nervous before the face-to-face -face interview that she could not sleep. Quote, the woman is very intelligent, and she has given a lot of thought to her answer, and she genuinely, genuinely believes that the moon landing was faked, end quote. Oh, and um, Spartan's, Spartan Radio's possible scoop of a lifetime stayed buried for the most part until very recently. Ms. Atwood had been trading Twitter broadsides with Sun Media columnist Ezra Levant of late and raised the ire of right-wing blogosphere by signing an Avaz petition calling for an American-style right-wing hate news to be denied a broadcasting license in the form of Sun News TV. So I guess she does believe in conspiracies of certain sorts, doesn't she? Oh, my. And uh, and she and so he wrote her, and he, he asked Margaret, you know, do you really believe this, right? And she wrote back. She says, it's a running joke and also a running conspiracy theory that the moonshot took uh, place in Sudbury. There's another running joke that the Russian space stuff was filmed under the Moscow Central subway station, Atwood writes. If you're asking whether I believe in either of these on the whole, no, because too many people were involved. Surely he couldn't keep them all from leaking. But the questions about the computer technology need to, needed to do something in this com, or something this complex remain with us. What were they using in those days before microchips? How heavy was it? End quote. So we ask, is the Canadian Queen of Letters in league with the conspiracy theorists, or 
just a master of mirth. If she's the Canadian queen of letters, that well, must be the letters that you need to use to make the word lunatic. <laughs> That's worth it. And we're talking about the moon too, right? <laughs> Lunacy, yes. Right. And uh, so we didn't really want to, Robert and I didn't want to get into the specific uh, arguments uh, re- about why the moon landing was real because we found a, a, a more entertaining way of letting you in on that. And what's this from again, Robert? This is One of my I've favorite never, shows. Never it's seen. called QI. Uh-huh. It's um, hosted by Stephen Fry. He has a panelist of four comedians, usually uh, British comedians. And on this particular clip, you have um, David Mitchell from Mitchell and Webb, and I think he has a great contribution. I to thought play. I recognized someone's voice in mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Well, let's go to that clip for the next oh, five or six minutes. It's, it's very funny and also enlightening, I thought. Here we go. Would you believe that they put a man on the moon? Who? Hey, these guys. NASA. Oh, NASA. Yes, yeah, I yes, believe that. You believe that? Yeah. I believe it. Yes, yes. you believe it. Good. That's all. That's sort of all at the end of the question, really. But you probably know that quite a lot of people don't believe it. Ah, uh, no. Yeah, but, well, I sort of believe one thing. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is I kind of believe that they might have um, done some mocked-up fake photographs. Really? Why? Because I was... Someone convinced me of it. Yeah. <laughs> by, by talking about the angle of light and oh, the shadows right. on the moon and all that. But then I did an advert with Patrick Moore and I said, So, Patrick, did they land on the moon? And he looked so annoyed with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he actually explained to me how he had helped map the moon for NASA and he'd spent years yeah. on the project and the landing site was partly his idea. And, it, and if I ever spoke to him again, he was going to be sick in my eyes. <laughs> If you spoke to Buzz Aldrin, he might have punched you. I was going to say... Buzz Aldrin, Buzz Aldrin punched someone. Did he? he? just got so tired of these conspiracy arses. Um, I think, it actually, I think it was a television documentary about... Well, there have been several, of course. You know, this, look at this photo. This couldn't possibly have been taken on the moon. This is obviously taken in a studio. You're getting me started now, because one gets very sort of strange about this. But there are a lot of conspiracies. 6% of Americans believe that uh, man didn't land on the moon, but 25% of Britons believe that mm. they didn't. So it's a quarter of our so nation. We're, we're I'm not convinced, oh, apparently. That's so depressing. It, isn't it, it is. The flag, it's one of its... One of the things I, I read... Oh, the flag is another it's, thing, it's yes. The flag, and, and yeah, you think, but there it is. Well, obviously, they've starched the flag because they wanted to get a good photograph of it. They've, well, they've no, stiffened it, the flag. No, they haven't stiffened it. That's the point. The fact it's like it's rumpled. There's no breath of wind out there, obviously, because yeah. you're in space, which is, as it were, a vacuum. But what there is is movement. If you impart movement to something, it doesn't stop right. moving for a long time because there's right. nothing to, there's no resistance yeah. against it. So they unpacked it, unfurled it, put it down, and it moved back and forth. People said, ah, breeze, ha-ha. <laughs> As if, A, they would be stupid enough to fake it and allow the tape that had the breeze in it <laughs> yeah. to go out. But also, if you went to the moon, the least you'd expect is a flag moved a bit strangely. <laughs> yeah. really? I mean, uh, you expect it to make the soup dragon, you think, OK, he's not there. <laughs> The flag moves a bit strangely. I can go with that. Yeah. Why isn't one of them holding up a camera? Because you can see him reflected, the one taking the picture is reflected in the visor of the one, and he's not holding up a camera like, like that, you see. But uh. that's because they, t- they didn't, in the visors, put a camera up in front of their visor. They were mounted. You couldn't really actually <laughs> imagine like pretty... them getting a camera out, yeah. you know, <laughs> click, like winding well, it well, on. <laughs> I just say, though, in defence of the people who suspect that there may be something yeah. afoot, uh, the track record of the American government in terms of deceiving its population yes. is, isn't great. Ah, but... And if you were a little no, bit Alan, dubious, I Alan, wouldn't blame you. 400,000 people were employed. 
on this thing, plus the 12 astronauts. And it may be that Americans have a bad record on doing covert things, but they have an even worse record on getting found out. The president can't keep a secret of where his penis is. <laughs> Do you seriously think that they would somehow... You know, look at Clinton there. You know, if they, could, if they can't even keep a secret of banging a, an intern in the White House... Well, no, of course, the, the in the old days, <laughs> she would have just disappeared. Yes. <laughs> but she didn't. You know, and we know what Kennedy got up to. The fact that... One thing, I think NASA killed Michael Jackson. That's a fact. <laughs> right. I do. I believe they killed him because it, he died last summer. Yeah, he mm -hmm. died, died in about July last year. It was the an he died the same week. That it was the anniversary of the initial moon landing of the first moonwalk. Right. Oh. <laughs> they resent the fact that anytime anyone puts moonwalk into Google or anything, it comes up with him sliding backwards with a hat on. <laughs> and not the billions they spent going up to do a moonwalk. They hated that, and they killed him. <laughs> and I believe that's a I don't fact. Think, I don't People think have NASA, around the world now. I don't think NASA would have get organised to kill him, but I think it might have been Buzz. Yeah. Because he's <laughs> clearly a very angry man. Buzz Aldrin he's gone, is... he's gone to the moon, it was pointless. People don't believe he went there. Yeah. It was pointless. <laughs> so of course he's going to kill someone. <laughs> Like you would like? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd like to do that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, what, two of the other things, just in case people are saying, ah, but you haven't mentioned the clincher. One was, one was the idea that, that below the lunar module that landed, there, there was no crater or sense of disturbed dust. The fact is, the engine's cut off and it hovered down and it very, very quickly landed. Mm. And unlike in science fiction films, it doesn't send out spears oh. of flame as it descends. <laughs> That just didn't happen. So, uh, because uh, it was designed by, you know, human brains and geniuses, and not a lot of people sitting tapping away at the internet who've got to go up to work in the morning. Yeah, Who yes. do you trust here? We, we, yes. we are in trouble as a species if people refuse to believe in things that they couldn't actually do themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah, no. so true. And yeah. the other one was the footprints. They said, oh, look, it, there's too much moisture because look how clear they are. Only a sort of caked mud could do that. But actually, you could do that with flour. The fact is, it's just very fine ground, and it makes... And there's, of course, it's a vacuum again. It coheres. And the other thing with the mirrors that uh, Apollo 12 uh, astronauts put on the moon, which are now used for bouncing lasers off, for detecting, for example, how far the moon is getting away from us. And you can make incredibly accurate uh, uh, measurements because of the mirrors on the surface of the moon. And perhaps, to me, the clinching one is that America's enemy at the time in the space race was the Soviet Union. And not once did they make a suggestion that they thought America hadn't done it. Mm. They never said, no, we know this was hoax. Yeah. <laughs> the fact is, uh, for every ill-conceived argument that the moon landings were a hoax, there's a perfectly logical explanation to put our minds at rest. And thank you. Uh, <laughs> welcome back to Just Right on uh, CHRW 94.9 FM. And um, right out of that debate on whether or not we landed on the moon, I'm going to go into a uh, just a few minutes, take a few minutes to actually profess why Canada should expand its space program. Now, Bob, you and I are of an age when we can probably remember the uh, moon landings. You're a little uh, oh, yeah, older I than I am. I remember exactly where I was on the day the man landed on the moon. Yeah, and um, I My dad actually took the day off work. Is that right? Yeah. 
And yeah. we, were, we were sitting there as a family watching the whole thing. And so were we. Uh, I can remember not Apollo 11 necessarily because I was a little young. I probably would have been about eight years old at the time. But I certainly remember just the, some of the ones after 1972. I think Apollo 17 from then on, Skylab, um, Apollo Soyuz. I remember actually sitting in front of the TV recording on my tape recorder the Apollo Soyuz uh, docking in space. I was so enamored with NASA's space program. I loved everything about it. I would go to the library and I would read Aviation Week and Space Technology magazines, a pretty dry magazine. Well, I remember you collecting all those videos from the live feeds of the astronauts mm -hmm. and recording them on these tapes. What, Which what, I still, still have. All those? Oh yeah, wow. I still have that. Yeah, no, I, I follow daily the uh, progress of a lot of space programs out there. Um, for example, Canada has just recently sent up a um, a satellite called the Micro Variability and Oscillations of Stars Telescope. Uh, actually, it's actually the smallest orbiting telescope in the world, really, or out of the world, and they <laughs> nickname it the Humble Space Telescope. <laughs> no, how small, <laughs> After the would, humble, how small would it be? What makes it smaller? Is it what? Oh, it's only about 110 pounds, and uh, what it does is it just stares at stars to check out the variability of the uh, light. And some of the more expensive satellites up there can't do that. It's just they're just too expensive to do something mm -hmm. like that. But anyway. What I'd like to talk about for the next couple of minutes is why we should actually increase our budget. Now, here so on this show, about Canada. in Canada, not the United States, in Canada, we have and, and you and I basically are capitalists. We want to make sure that government is focused on what it's doing and what it's spending its money on. But I have a case for why we should spend more. And I'm talking a lot more on space programs. And that is that space has a lot to do with the defense of this country nationally and individually. And <clears throat> anything we can do to, um, to um, enhance our defense, I think, uh, is a justifiable expenditure of, of government funds. Um, and defense of the nation is obviously one of them. Another proper, proper function uh, of government, of course, is communicating uh, with its citizens and, and in the military. So communication satellites are a proper function uh, of government and, and a space program. Um, Landsat, a U.S. satellite which um, records and uh, the assets of a, a territory, a vital function for government to know what its assets are, what its territory is, where mm -hmm. things are on its on its surface. A radar sat, which by the way is a Canadian satellite, also surveys physical effects um, of, for example, ice flows and things of that nature. Definitely, we have a role and a need for a space program. Now, isn't but, any of this precipitated because the U.S. seems to be stepping back from their space program? That's part of it. If you recall, a few weeks ago, I talked about mm. why we should have the nuclear bomb. Basically, right. because we can no longer trust the United States to act in our interests when it comes to global conflict. By the same token, we can't really rely on the United States or France or the European Space Agency or Russia to launch our satellites when we need to in a time of conflict because their interests may differ from ours. We need a launch capability in Canada. We don't have it. We're, we cannot physically or technically put a satellite into space. Canada does not have that capability. We have, in the past, launched sounding rockets from um, just north of Churchill, Manitoba, at a um, range that we used to have up there. Um, about 3,500 sounding rockets, as a matter of fact, and we were pioneers in the uh, research of the troposphere and the stratosphere and the aurora and things of that nature, which can affect communications. But since then, 
we we have we don't have a capability of putting a, a satellite into space without relying on other countries. I think it's worth noting too that as we're sitting here, China has a satellite circle, circling the, the yes. moon that they just launched last week. Yes, and in fact, Japan has done the same thing. Mm -hmm. Many years ago, Japan put up a, a satellite to. Uh, orbit the moon and take pictures. And, and of course like we've that. landed craft, not we, the Americans have landed craft on Mars, etc., which amazes me that people can't believe that we landed on the moon if we're doing these things. Of course, <laughs> and as a matter of fact, Canada has a role to play in some of the uh, Mars rovers that are up mm -hmm. there, and, and our next mission to Mars will have a major Canadian component to it. But I how's, like to how's think that, that arm doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've done more than the arm. We've actually had the remote manipulator system of the space station as well. It's a, quite a contribution. But I think that given Canada's GDP, our standing in the world as a G7 nation, our physical size, given what we have to protect, our space budget is a paltry um, sum. Not insignificant, but paltry compared to other countries. Now, remember, Harper. Stephen Harper wants to spend over the next five years $2 billion incarcerating teenage pot smokers, while the Canada space budget is a paltry, like I say, $370 million. Now, by comparison, NASA's budget is $17.6 billion. The European Space Agency's is $5.3 billion. France's is $2.5 billion. And the following countries all average out around $2 billion a year, and that's Russia, Japan, Germany, and Italy. Italy's budget is $1.5 India's budget, poor India, whose gross domestic product is larger than ours, but still they have a billion people, is $1.2 billion. Canada's is only a third of a million. It is paltry. We are not doing enough. A third of a billion. $373 million. $373.5 mm. million. Brazil's is almost the same as ours, for God's sakes. So we are far behind what we should be when it comes to actually having a uh, viable space program. Now, I understand that the Canadian Space Agency is actually looking at Cape Breton as a possible launch site for satellites, and that would make sense because you need to have a very clear downrange um, area in case anything goes wrong with a launch. And Cape Breton, of course, has a northern coast and an eastern and southern coast. So you can actually launch rockets from that area, and if case something goes wrong, it'll land safely in the ocean. Or unsafely in the ocean. <laughs> or unsafely at safely to us. You know? yes. <laughs> now, if you remember, Ayn Rand um, actually, remember. Wrote, actually wrote an article called Apollo 11. Yes. It was printed in The Objectivist of 1969. She was actually a, um, a live spectator of the Apollo 11 launch. And she said that it's not so important that man went to the moon. It's important for us to know that we can go to the moon. And I think that a Canadian space program with our, with our own launch facilities would inspire Canadians, young and old, to embrace rationality and science instead of what we seem to be embracing today, Bob, which is irrationality and mysticism. And I think that the more money we spend on such an endeavor, um, even though uh, people out there may not consider it to be important, I do consider it to be important. I think it's a part of our national sovereignty to have it be the ability to launch our own satellites, to have the ability to compete with um, other countries when it comes to exploring um, this, this, this nation and the world. 
And um, the more money we spend on it, the better in, in my opinion. I, I think well, we should have a budget a, of $2 billion plus. You've made a good case, Robert. And it sounds like they're thinking about it if they're looking at that, that launch facility. They're looking, that just, but that's all they're doing. All There's they're no doing. money there. They really have to yeah. get their act together. And people out there should be telling there are members of parliament that it's important that we have our own launch capability and to start stop spending money on stupid things like expanding prisons to put kids in jail and put it towards something that'll inspire the kids. Well, there you heard it for the first time on Just Right. We actually advocated government spending. Yes. <laughs> That's it for today. We'll have to get back to you next week. We hope you'll join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. And you know what to do. Until then, you be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be So friends of mine told me about this, uh, this outing that they go on And uh, they suggested I do it too um, But it involves the outdoors And I'm not a fan Here's what it was They said, uh, Paul, it's wonderful What we do is uh, every summer, once a month we go, to this, uh, we go to this farm where this farmer has a cherry orchard and, um, you know, we give the guy uh, uh, $35, and he gives us a, a ladder and a bushel basket. And um, we go out there in the orchard, and we climb up the ladder, and we, we pick the cherries. We pick the cherries off the tree, and we put them in the basket. Just pick the cherries. You're out there in the, the fresh air and the sunshine. It's just, it's just delightful. It's just delightful. Well, well, well. It seems someone has stolen my idea for the migrant worker fantasy camp. <laughs> How do you like that? Figures. Am I right, sir? <laughs>